about what I find interesting, amazing, fantastic, or terrible, and sometimes all of the above. Today, I'm going to be dissecting a couple of arguments. I don't know if you know this, but I have a massive collection of faulty political arguments that I have seen made online that I save. Usually, I only commentate on them when I see them repeated again and again or something very similar to them repeated again and again. Today, we're going to talk about one that has been repeated over and over in different ways, largely dealing with the current lockdown we're in and what we as a country are supposed to do next. So here's the meme that's kind of starting us off today, meme post thing. I think I refer to it as like a meme argument because it more or less is. Anyway, here's what it says. Republicans are working overtime to make you think we have just two options. People either die from the virus or the economy crashes and they die from poverty. There's still a third option. Pay everyone to stay at home. The billionaires get a little poorer, but everyone lives. So lots of claims are being made here. I'm going to break them down a bit. Too much, probably. But hey, it's my show, so I do what I want. Here is what this meme claims. First, that Republicans are the perpetrators of the bad acts articulated in this meme. Then, that they're working overtime. It also claims that Republicans want you to think you have only two options. Claims one option is to remove the lockdown and people would die from the virus, but the economy would be saved. I'm kind of inferring this from how it's phrased because it's kind of leaves out part of that. You can hear my dog walking by in the background, so there's that. The other option is to stay in lockdown, which would allow people to be safe from the virus, but would destroy the economy. It's kind of a claim within a claim, all of these. They're claiming that if the economy crashes, then people would die from poverty, which is also they're claiming that Republicans are claiming this as one of their two options. Then the poster writes that there's a third option, which is to pay everyone to stay at home. This would be supported, they argue, by billionaires who would then be a little poorer. In this scenario, everyone lives. So let's dissect this. Claim. Republicans are the perpetrators. We know what they're referring to is removing restrictions meant to reduce the spread of coronavirus. So let's look at who is doing that. The states that are looking to reopen historically are more likely to vote Republican. They also tend to have Republican governors, so that checks out. Donald Trump, whether you see him as a Republican or not, is continually vacillating on his rhetoric about this, but overall, he is arguing that he wants the, the economy to reopen. However, this does the classic Republicans are anyone I don't like thing, and groups a lot of people who support continued safety measures, who also are Republican, in with those who are wanting to re remove restrictions. Why does it do this? Because nuance is hard. Because people don't like it, because it doesn't fit on a meme, and it doesn't feel powerful to say some Republicans or pseudo-libertarians. Vox's Sean Illing does a pretty good job breaking this down about like who's actually pushing to end the restrictions we're facing right now, and why the protesters you see and the folks who are really pushing for relaxed restrictions coming from the right aren't necessarily representative of the whole of the right. He wrote a piece that came out on April 22nd called There Is No Anti-Lockdown Protest Movement, which breaks down who is actually protesting. It helps clarify by comparing those protesting these safety measures now to the Tea Party movement of the past. So I'm quoting from this article. The Tea Party was never representative of the country, but it was at least fairly representative of the Republican Party. That's just not true of these anti-lockdown protests. Astonishingly, as Vox's Laura McGann argued, Americans are mostly united in their willingness to social distance, Republicans included. 
The impression you get watching some of the coverage on Fox News, however, suggests that we're witnessing a popular revolt against draconian public health measures. That's the end of that quote. In an interview conducted with Theda Skakpol, which is a pretty fun name, Harvard professor of government and sociology, he actually broke it down further. So, quoting again, The Tea Party was a combination of top-down media cheerleaders and advocacy groups pushing ultra-free market libertarian ideas and popular protesters who were genuinely, I don't know why that word's so hard for me to say, angry about the Democrats and Barack Obama. They were especially animated by race and immigration and social benefits for people they did not believe were contributing to America. In this case, I suspect we've got a similar combination of top-down influence from high-dollar organizations and some genuine energy at the grassroots level. But I also suspect this is mostly being pushed and promoted from above. And I want to be careful here because I'm not saying there aren't any grassroots people out there who are angry about the lockdowns, especially since the political geography of the United States means that conservatives tend to live in areas that haven't been hit as hard as the metro areas. But this is a narrowly targeted event, happening in a modest number of places, with dozens to hundreds to maybe in the thousands range of people turning up. And we don't have to be sleuths to realize that there are national orchestrators here. To go even further, Illing asks Skakpol, just to be clear, the point here is that these protests are some combination of genuine activism and what's often called astroturfing, which is basically corporations and special interests creating the illusion of popular support by organizing behind the scenes, but we can't quite say it's just one or the other. Skakpol replies by saying, that's almost certainly true. What I don't know, and what no one really knows, is what the actual thinking of the grassroots people is. I'm very doubtful that it's purely economic frustration. I think it's more likely people who have a commitment to Donald Trump himself, and they see this as defending him. But a lot of this just made for TV rallies designed, sorry, but a lot of this is just made for TV rallies designed to generate outsized coverage, and it works. So I don't agree with all of the psychological analysis of conservatives presented later in this article, but they are acknowledged as speculation. Uh, and they were able to baseline make the point that this isn't all Republicans by any stretch, nor is it really even representative of most Republicans. This isn't an argument for you liking Republicans all of a sudden or even saying they're not all bad. This matters because if you have any interest in representing reality accurately, you probably shouldn't make generalizations about large groups of people that serve only to be inflammatory. Sure, Republicans do that too, but so what? That doesn't make it better when somebody else does. People are very willing to believe the worst about those with whom they disagree politically. It's not really that shocking, but you can't be spreading inflammatory misinformation on the one hand, and on the other hand, condemning the right for doing the same thing, which seems to be what a lot of what this meme is kind of accusing Republicans of doing. Let's move on to the next claim. Claim. They, meaning Republicans, are working overtime. How would I even Google this? We've kind of debunked the idea that Republicans is an accurate way to refer to this group. So who exactly are we saying are working overtime? I'm putting this in little air quotes that you can't see. How much does this nondescript group work to begin with? Is this a turn of phrase that just means they're working really, really hard? To be honest, it seems like most Republicans are staying home, kind of fine with that, doing what everyone else is doing. So in all likelihood, working less or, you know, just like many people are. This is one of those tidbits that lace propaganda. I'll call it the using a generic expression with no truth value that makes something seem bigger or more intimidating than it is trick. The genius of it is that I can't say it's not true because there's no way to say that it is true. 
I do not have access to the time cards for Evil Republican Headquarters Incorporated, so there's no way to tell if their employees are working more hours. I've put in a public information request, but they just sent back an email stating that they privatized timekeeping with a shell corporation in Belize. So let's move on to the next claim. They, again, meaning Republicans, want you to think you have only two options. The author of this post wants you to believe that the Republicans want to convince you that you have only two options. Again, this has dubious provability. Even if we interpret the subject as indeed being all Republicans, I can think of several off the top of my head that aren't setting up this kind of false dichotomy. They're trying to find ways where we can get the economy going again without causing a spike in illness. For one of the first times in my memory, conservatives are actively looking globally for guidance as to how to proceed, even considering Europe. Gasp! As they look at a country like Sweden that didn't fully shut down and was also able to flatten its curve. Sure, it's not perfect, but it is an interesting example. So if the author of this post is saying that Republicans are presenting you with only two options, they're wrong. If they're saying that those people who are congregating outside of Capitol buildings are giving you only two options, they may be right. But again, saying Republicans generally is not accurate. So what is this author trying to say? At this point, I think it's pretty clear This author doesn't like Republicans, doesn't understand that there can be moderate solutions to opening up the economy, let alone that those solutions might be offered by the right. They're responding only to the most extreme reactionary wing of the right and behaving as though that's representative of a greater number of people than it actually is, partially because they don't like anyone else on the right, so why bother to create any distinction? Or perhaps they truly think that this represents everyone on the right, which just means that they haven't done their research and or are a kind of bigoted person. Why do people fearmonger this way? This author is saying that the subject that they claim is Republicans is only representing two options or is only presenting two options. That's pretty easy to see through. But the author wants you to think it's true. Seems like they want you to be scared of Republicans. Honestly, I would say they probably are. I don't think that's entirely crazy all of the time, but I feel like creating fear where there doesn't need to be fear is only an evil in in the world, you know? Making people more afraid of the world as it is isn't a good thing. There's an assumption being made here that those who agree with them won't stop to consider whether or not what they're saying is accurate or they're absolutely convinced of what they're saying. So either they're conniving or foolish. Kind of feels like it's one of the two. I'm presenting you with only two options is about what I think this person is. So what is the author trying to convince you Republicans are actually thinking, like getting into the meat of these two options that they say the Republicans are presenting? The first option is to remove the lockdown and then people would die from the virus, but the economy would be saved. And the second option, they claim, is to keep the economy shut down and have poverty kill everyone. These are the two options that... At least this is what I'm interpreting they meant by what they wrote as the two options as they articulate it are actually just die and die. And the Republicans are offering you two options, which is to die. Anyway, I thought the best way to evaluate whether or not this is an accurate portrayal of this subject of this meme would be to jump into the thoughts of a thought leader on the emotional right, which is how I'm going to refer to these people, the emotional right. Rush Limbaugh. If anyone is arguing that there would be only two options, it would be him. If you've been annoyed because you feel like I've been picking on the left so far, then you'll be fine with what happens next. Also, I do want to throw in a disclaimer. Like, yes, Rush Limbaugh, definitely Republican. 
definitely someone that a lot of these protesters are listening to. Not going to deny that he is representative of a wing of the Republican Party, and some of his greatest adherents are also falling toward the the most emotionally reactive of the party. That's very true. So here's what Rush Limbaugh had to say about it. I'm reading from a transcript here. Uh, because I don't want to pay to be a Rush Limbaugh 24-7 member, which would give me access to the audio. Quoting Rush Limbaugh, One thing I want to stress, I am not a medical professional, and I am not a trained economist, and I am not formally educated in any of the fields that we are being given information by and told how to react accordingly. I'm not saying I'm smarter than anyone else, and I'm not at all trying to inspire or provoke any kind of behavior. I'm just telling you that there's a lot about this that really concerns me, and it has concerned me for weeks, and the concern is, I don't know how else to say this. I've said it this way countless times. Look, I love all you. I love everybody in this country. I love the country, and especially those of you in this audience. I feel like I have an almost familial bond. All right, stopping the quote right there. This is Liesl again. I mean, what is this? What this makes me think of is Jeremy Jam on Parks and Recreation shouting, Firefighters, 9-11, America, and people applauding. That's all he said. That's literally, there's no point he has made here in these first two paragraphs. But this is a whole show about opening up after COVID-19. And this is, this is how he starts with basically being like, America, I love you. Okay, quoting again. This program is in our 31st year. That doesn't happen. That's a rare thing, and I have the greatest appreciation for it. So when I travel around and I see shut down businesses and boarded up windows, I see your faces behind them or the faces of people that I haven't met, and it just bugs me, it bothers me, and actually breaks my heart because I don't believe it's been necessary to this extent. End of the quoting for a moment. So it's our faces that... When he says it's been necessary, he's he's so vague in how he's talking. I, I believe... He's saying that the lockdown has not been necessary to this extent, and so people are suffering needlessly. I think that's what he's trying to say. I'm trying to interpret Rush Limbaugh into a way that a reasonable person would speak on an issue that they had any knowledge about. So anyway, let's continue. But that belief is based on instinct and a couple of other things, my intelligence guided by experience, and one of the things that makes me confident in believing that my instinct on this is right is to look at the people who are for this. Now, I'm going to exempt the medical people because, of course, they're going to want their pristine conditions and they're going to want the shutdown in this kind of thing for whatever reason. That's the end of the quote. Ah! I'm including this because this is just word garbage. This is a dude who feels like he knows a lot when his only real qualification is that he has said a lot, patting himself on the back for people listening to him while he talks. He says he's not an expert right up front or educated on anything he's about to talk about, but then says he's guided by his instinct, intelligence, and experience. Experience in what? Intelligence in what? What instinct has he developed about pandemics? He straight up says he's going to use a logical fallacy to prove his point. He's going to attack the people who support the idea, not the idea itself. That's an ad hominem argument, one of the most well-known logical fallacies. But first, let's disregard all medical professionals, more or less, because they're just going to want to contain the virus. They don't know about humans. We'll forgive them for believing what they believe for whatever reason. What? 
By disregarding medical professionals, because as he puts it, they're just going to want pristine conditions, he's committing another logical fallacy, which is called a circumstantial ad hominem argument. It asserts that because of the circumstances of someone's life, they cannot have a reasonable opinion. It would be like saying, of course you think that, you're an American, or you can't understand, you're married, you're not single. It's a way to ignore someone's argument or point of view by using some element of who they are and their life circumstances against them. It's pretty insulting because it just assumes that whoever you're talking about or talking to has a stunted view of reality compared to yourself, or compared to Rush Limbaugh anyway. He's pretty much just saying that doctors can't have as strong an overview as we can because they're doctors and we're not. So there's that. All right, going back to this quote, or this transcript, quoting again. But when I see the political people choose a side on this, and I see uniformity in the Democrat Party about making sure that you stay shut down, making sure that your business stays shut down, making sure that your job remains shut down so that you have no income— When I see total conformity among a political class of people, Democrats, leftists, whatever, folks, I think those people are dangerous, end quote. Right here, Rush Limbaugh is doing the same thing that the author of this meme post we're all breaking down is doing. He's lumping all Democrats, leftists, whatever, leaving it up to your imagination what whatever means together, claiming that they are partaking in some grand conspiracy to control you. There is not, in fact, total conformity among these people, but it's much easier to ignore all of them if you lump them together and act like they're all crazy. Quoting again, I don't subscribe to things that they believe, and my instinct is to oppose and defeat them. They're too eager for the situation to continue. Now, who are these people? This is the next phase. Who are these people? And I'm not talking about Tom, Dick, and Harry voters. I'm talking about people in Washington that have a semblance of power. End quote. Again, this is word salad. What do they believe? Who is the them that you're defeating? The next phase of what? Who are Tom, Dick, and Harry voters? Isn't the guy at the top of this whole Washington power structure that he's referring to his buddy, Donnie T? Like, the one who just gave him a freaking Congressional Medal of Honor? Like, that's who he's talking about in this conspiracy realm he's living in? Okay. Quoting again, quote, I can't separate all of this. There are people benefiting from this politically. That to me is sick. But then that's their modus operandi, benefiting from the pain of others. That pain creates dependency, which promotes votes for Democrats. But mostly it is I'm not, (laughs) it's so hard to read, but mostly it is I'm just not sure that it's been necessary to stop the virus because it hasn't, end quote. And here we come to as close as he'll get to an actual argument. Here's his thinking. If you're on the left, you simply want to control people and will do whatever you can to that end. So if the left can keep the economy shut down long enough, they can make sure no one has a job and everyone is entirely dependent upon the government. If they're entirely dependent upon the government, then they're going to keep being afraid to vote for any cut to government programs, which means they'll just keep voting for Democrats. So this whole shutdown is Democrats taking advantage of a global pandemic, traumatizing people into thinking that they need the government, and it's not even stopping the virus. That's the argument that's being made by the Rush Limbaugh's of the world. I realize that by putting it into some kind of intelligible language, I'm making the argument itself sound better. I do this not because I think that argument should necessarily sound better, 
But I think if you want a window into what someone believes, you need to try to put it in as logical language as possible. Like, why would someone actually believe this? And I think that looking at this formula that he's sort of provided, um, you must first assume that the only thing liberal people want truly is to control your life. But you can see how people start to really latch on to this line of thinking and become very nervous about it. It's interesting because I myself tend to be extremely wary about government overreach, and I don't have a lot of faith in government assistance or government programs. Um, But this level of assuming bad faith on the side of the people that you oppose is something that I think is pretty dramatic with Rush Limbaugh. All right, quoting again. And then I read they're finally being honest. This was not the lockdown, the shutdown, never was intended to stop the virus. It was never intended to slow the growth of the virus. All intended, all it was intended to do, they say, was to flatten the curve, slow the infection rate, not ending it. Slowing it is only going to extend it. End quote. Like, yes, this is what was said by anyone paying attention to experts from the beginning. I know that a lot of people didn't understand that, but what did, that actually, what did they actually think would happen? Additionally, one of the people who has been pointing this out the whole time is conservative commentator Ben Shapiro, who has been one of the strongest advocates of staying at home. Like, people in your own camp on the issues have been saying this from the beginning. So how Rush Limbaugh gets off pretending that this was some big Democratic cover-up, I don't really know. Here's how he's rewriting history to fit with the worldview that he was presenting at, in, kind of in the last paragraph. So Democrats made this a big deal when it wasn't actually a big deal. Democrats told us that if we all stayed home, the virus would miraculously disappear. I mean, even if they told you that, it would be kind of stupid for you to believe them. That's just not how viruses work. But that's how the narrative goes. Now, Democrats are trying to keep people at home because they want to control your life. And they've been forced to admit that the virus isn't going to die on its own miraculously. So that, that's the stream of narrative here for Rush Limbaugh. This really isn't what happened. I find it very odd when folks blame the other party, even when they're the party in power at the time. But you got to have something to be outraged about. All right. Quoting again. But they said we had to slow the infection rate. And the only way to do it is shutting everything down and you staying home. And that will free our hospitals to be able to handle the massive number of COVID-19 patients, which will no doubt flood our hospitals. Well, that hasn't happened. It hasn't even really happened in New York. There have been some pressure on hospitals, but all of the overrun hospitals that were manufactured and assembled on a lickety split pace like the, I'm going to say it's Javits Center and the Central Parkfield hospitals were never used because they weren't needed. Now I look for other evidence that I might be right. And for that, you turn to other parts of the world and see how they are dealing with it. Ugh, again, word salad. I mean, yeah, lockdowns are working, so it's not as horrible as it could have been. That's great. Not evidence not to have done something. And honestly, I'm not shocked that there may be increasing evidence that a full lockdown was not entirely required, but that does not mean that that wasn't the best plan we had at the time. It doesn't automatically make it a conspiracy theory, simply something we should await more evidence about. Here we have a great example of motivated reasoning, which basically means looking for evidence that supports your worldview and ignoring what doesn't. Limbaugh explicitly states, 
I look for other evidence that I might be right. To some extent, we all do that. I like evidence that I might be right too. Yeah. But there's a difference between having a hypothesis and then looking for evidence that can prove or disprove it and going in armed with logical fallacies that enable you to ignore any evidence that you don't like, which I have a sneaking suspicion is what Limbaugh is doing. Quoting again, we're going to get through this. We're going to get to the bottom of what he's actually saying is happening. Of course, the largest nation that is dealing with this in a completely opposite way from us is Sweden. And I have a couple stories here from Sweden. Well, no, I just, it's real simple, folks. Folks, I just haven't seen any evidence that throwing 22 million people out of work with no end in sight to it is a way of handling a runaway virus, a runaway disease. I just don't see the correlation. We got 22 million people out of work and counting. More and more people are going to be filing unemployment. If this was the way to deal with this, the health people should tell us we're making a lot of progress, but they're not. They're telling us it's only going to get worse in the fall. What the hell is that? If we haven't even scratched the surface yet with 22 million unemployed, what's it going to take? 30 million unemployed? How much unemployment, how much economic destruction is it going to take to beat the virus? And you see, that's where it breaks down as far as I'm concerned, because I don't think we have to destroy jobs or the economy to defeat a virus. We've not chosen this route for dealing with any other pandemic. We have never done it. End of quote. He literally just says Sweden and then acts like he's made a point. If you listen to this show before, you know how much I hate when the left does this. The right doing it is not any better. Then he just moves on to talk about job loss, which is a legitimate concern, but he hasn't given any idea behind reopening at all. He just said Democrats want to control you, Sweden, and then proceeded directly to fear-mongering. You see, hear my dog walking behind me in the background. He doesn't really like lying next to my table when I'm getting really impassioned about stuff. All right, continuing with the quote. But the people behind this one are part of that crowd that hates Trump and will do anything to get rid of him. And I'm sorry, but you cannot erase the past four years. And you can't all of a sudden, it would be stupid to assume that people who've been lying to you for four years all of a sudden are telling the truth every day. End quote. Here we're returning to the ad hominem attack. This must not be helping against the virus because the people who are promoting lockdowns as a solution are people that I don't like or trust. Quoting again. Sorry, they haven't done anything to regain my trust from the media, to the intelligence agencies, to you name it, the Democrat Party. Any of these people have been advocating from a bunch of lies and a total crock, i.e. Trump colluded with Russia. So I haven't even seen the evidence. Or so I just haven't seen the evidence. I haven't seen the evidence here. I haven't seen the evidence around the world that an effective way of stopping the virus is 22 million people unemployed. And who knows how many businesses shut down and no end in sight to it. And yet we're doing it. And now when anybody talks about ending it and opening up, look what happens to those people. They're targeted, finger pointing, blame, shame. How dare you? You're killing people. You're putting millions at risk. You got drones flying over communities trying to spot people standing closer together than six feet. End quote. I want to pull out a couple things here. One, this is the consequence of people on the left crying collusion, collusion, collusion for months on end. To be honest, this is the consequence of people trying to kick Trump out of office no matter what from the beginning. He's right here to point out that many of the same folks who are behaving as though talking about opening up the economy or evil Wall Street cronies are the same people who were buying prayer candles with Robert Mueller's face on them. After months of telling half-truths and stretching truths, being told that something big was just around the corner, that they were going to drop a truth bomb and have been right all along, there was nothing. I can't really blame people on the right for not believing what they see as hysteria coming from the left. 
because it has been so often and so public when the left says that something is an incontrovertible truth. They make this claim. It's absolutely true that Trump colluded with Russia and it's going to get him impeached. He'll be in jail. Something like that. And it never really pans out. Now, I can blame the right for automatically disbelieving anything said by the left, and folks like Rush Limbaugh are going to assume that if the left does it, then it's just because they want to raise your children to be lesbian demon worshippers at schools that promote communism and make everyone trans. But the left, and by the left, in this context, I do mean folks like AOC and Adam Schiff, basically those who make hay out of everything they can spin to demonize the right for, the Rush Limbaugh's of the left, has more than a bit of a boy-who-cried-wolf problem. And the consequence is that they're arming Rush Limbaugh and his ilk with reasons to ignore and disbelieve them. Reasons that can easily convince any moderate with their eyes open. So people being shocked that the right is so paranoid, well, stop giving them reasons to be. You know, I blame the right, I blame the left too. The second thing I want to pull out here. Let my dog walk by. You can hear his little... Claws. Dogs have claws. Whatever they are. Padding along the laminate flooring. All right. The second thing I want to pull out here. So the quote, end quote, they are saying or quote, they are doing is something Limbaugh uses a lot. It basically lets you as the listener, viewer, reader, whatever, put whatever baddie you want in the place of they. For some, the they here might mean David Frum and his recent Atlantic article, Trump's two horrifying plans for dealing with the coronavirus, in which he more or less states that by wanting to reopen the economy, Trump is sacrificing the lives of the poor so he can win an election. The they here could mean Seth Meyers, who in his recent video, Trump blames WHO and rushes to open up America again, a closer look characterizes Trump as both evil because of his demonstrated love of authoritarian leaders and stupid by saying he has the memory of a goldfish on weed. When I heard they in Rush Limbaugh's text, I imagined the meme that set all of this off. I imagined my Facebook and Twitter feeds, which are full of similar meme warfare, claiming that it's totally reasonable for everyone to just shut down for a while, that recessions don't actually cause harm, and that anyone trying to convince you otherwise is just an evil corporate entity or sheeple. There are a few they that they could be speaking of and that he wouldn't be wrong about. Also, the drones thing, just as an aside, apparently happening. Feels pretty creepy, not necessarily a straightforward issue. I'll post articles about it in the show notes that I thought were interesting, but also definitely something that the privacy or security conscious conservatives can make hay about. So to wrap up this Rush Limbaugh segment, because oh God, I would love to, he basically goes into the fact that models predicting the infection rate have changed drastically and argues that the impact of economic devastation should have been considered when deciding to close the economy. He's assuming it hasn't been, you know, I don't know to what extent it was, but that's his claim. He supports this by saying that the Swedish epidemiologist, Johan, I'm going to try to say this, Giseka, Giseka, Giseka. Johnny G, who has advised the Swedish government during the pandemic, argues that the best way to go about this is to protect those who are high risk, but allow others to continue to go into society and develop some level of herd immunity, which, short of a vaccine, is the way the virus would eventually be defeated. I do want to mention that I just stated Rush Limbaugh's argument here to wrap it up and summarize it in a much more cogent way than he does. At one point, he talks about endangered snails keeping people from building shopping malls for some reason. I thought that might seem kind of irrelevant. 
Again, aside from the snails, though, he's not really wrong. It does seem like Sweden has successfully not shut down their economy. It does seem like there are alternatives to consider. Of course, that doesn't mean that whatever plan Limbaugh and the Trump administration would sign on to would make any sense or would protect those vulnerable from the disease. But it does mean that vilifying those who argue that there may be a way to open the economy is unnecessary and kind of unscientific. So let's go back to this meme that started all of this off. It says, Republicans are working overtime to make you think you have just two options. People either die from the virus or the economy crashes and they die from poverty. Oddly enough, while Limbaugh did mention varying levels of economic devastation over and over again, he never actually said that everyone would die if we kept the economy closed. He heavily implied that the consequence of keeping the economy closed would be a militarist state run by socialists, which I'm sure folks like Glenn Beck would argue is worse than death. I'm not going to cite a sword on that source on that one at all because it's just like everything he's ever said. And he did point to a model that seems like it could provide a successful middle ground. I... You really have to dig for the sense in Rush Limbaugh, but there it is. I've done it. So, really, this meme should read. Some members of the emotionalist right are scared that we're being controlled by the media, which will lead to us being controlled by totalitarian leftists. And they want to reopen the economy because they don't really believe people will die, and they're kind of okay with some people dying to avoid what they see as the next USSR. Let's move on to the last claim that there is a third option where everyone stays home and the only consequence is that billionaires are a little bit poorer, but everyone lives. Just to point out, this is basically the same strategy as the second option, only they're saying that the economy just doesn't crash and everyone lives instead. This doesn't really make sense. What would happen to keep the economy from crashing? Do economic downturns not cause devastation? Does poverty not cause death? Is the idea that the government just takes money from billionaires and doles it out to everyone to keep the economy afloat? How? Are they imagining an emergency law being passed that would immediately go into effect that would be enough to enable all Americans to stay home indefinitely? How long would this last? What if there never is a vaccine? If, as evidence is showing may be the case, this disease is not as deadly as we'd first imagined, then would you still recommend everyone stay inside indefinitely? What is the metric by which you decide we're allowed to leave our homes again? Aside from all that, if everyone stays home, who does that everyone actually include? No grocery stores are open anymore, I suppose? I mean, if everyone is really supposed to stay home, then that would be required. No one is allowed to go to parks? Walking trails are banned? This implies not only that these lockdowns could be much more drastic than the ones that we're currently under, but it raises questions like how would people get food? Would the government send care packages? Who would make them? And how does everyone survive this in the end? Is it mass testing for antibodies? Is that what they're thinking? And those who have antibodies are allowed out again, I guess? Is it mass testing in general? If so, to what end? Who is going to administer these programs and make these decisions? One can say public health experts, but does that then mean that they would be given power over elected officials? What about those public health experts who think it's appropriate to start opening up the economy? Or people like Johan Ji who didn't think it was a good idea to close it to begin with? Would we listen to them? Or given the premise of this post, would we only listen if they had a projected casualty rate of zero? Just a rough calculation, super rough. If we took all the money from billionaires in the United States and doled it out equally to every resident of the United States, we'd have about $7,300.
Okay. How many months of rent and food would that bring to you, to the average American family even? Okay, so we just ban rent during the entirety of this time. Is nothing in your apartment going to break during this time? So your apartment requires no maintenance that the landlord would have to pay out? Are we banning property tax for your landlord too? If we're banning property taxes so that you don't have to pay your rent because the landlord doesn't have the money, how much of a hit would that cause to the government's budget? Who is going to be required to be laid off because we're shrinking the budget of the government that has to pay them? How would they purchase necessities for themselves? Or is that provided by the government too? And how would they provide necessities for those people they had laid off when the government's own budget has been shrinking? I realize I'm, I'm basically writing the plot of If You Give a Mouse a Cookie here, but that's kind of the point. Choices have impacts, and when you start indulging in extremist proposals like shut down everything forever, then we'll all be safe, or shut down everything even until we'll all be safe, then at best, you start to sound pretty silly and can be written off as such, but at worst, you're contributing to a culture of anti-intellectual extremism. Well, you see that on the right, as we have absolutely just seen reading that Rush Limbaugh show stuff, transcript. They by no means have a monopoly on it. I don't think that's what people on the left actually want. But I think emotional times are getting the best of us. They're causing us to say substantially more extreme things than we may mean and spend all day looking at our screens where meme warfare is being waged. With the winner, usually, being the one who can treat their opponent with the most contempt or simplify their point into like less than a sentence's worth of drivel. So at the end of the day, this meme could be phrased more accurately like this. Some members of the emotionalist right are scared that we're being controlled by the media, which will lead lead to us being controlled by totalitarian leftists, and they want to reopen the economy because they don't really believe people will die, and they're kind of okay with some people dying to avoid what they see as the next USSR. I think that is an overreaction and is not considering that our priority should be keeping people safe, which we have the ability to do for at least the time being. That's my alternative reading of this meme. But that's not very sexy, is it? There's no real enemy there. Not a satisfying one, anyway. Whereas the original statement smacked of slave drivers and freedom fighters protecting the vulnerable, this one just feels like Jeremy Jam and Leslie Nope in Parks and Recreation. And yeah, you definitely don't want Jeremy Jam in charge during a pandemic. It doesn't mean that he suddenly has throngs of followers that require this level of us and them. We're good in their evil mentality. Particularly when it's not remotely clear what you're actually suggesting as a solution or how that would play out either. Why does this matter? Why am I dissecting a meme that, to be honest, was clearly stupid to begin with? It's because... I'm really tired of seeing smart people post and say stupid things because they're overwhelmed by the stress of the pandemic or they don't like a political figure or party. It is totally fair if you don't give a fuck about my respecting you, because if this is your line of thinking, then I kind of don't. But think of someone you do intellectually respect, who you think is fair and thorough and doesn't jump to conclusions quickly. Would they post something like this? Would they listen to Rush Limbaugh and believe him? And if this meme is not an accurate political statement, then it is, quote, information of a biased or misleading nature used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view, end quote. I just read you the Oxford English Dictionary's definition of propaganda. 
I think we are smart enough to be more than propaganda vomit machines. Don't you? So that is the end of the rant for this week. Moving on, many things in the world are a bummer. So every week I want to highlight something I don't hate in my weekly segment, Something I Don't Hate. This week's Something I Don't Hate is the fact that on Facebook, I can watch every episode of the two seasons that do exist of Loosely Exactly Nicole. For those of you who have not been initiated into the comedic genius that is Loosely Exactly Nicole, it is comedian Nicole Byer, who is perhaps best known for being the host of Nailed It on Netflix. Um, She also is the host of the podcast Why Won't You Date Me, which is like a complete dream of mine to be on. Um, She is hilarious and amazing. And so Facebook like actually has television series that it has on it. And this is this is one of them. So if you type in loosely exactly Nicole, you can actually go to the page and watch two full seasons of this. Just it's about Nicole going around L.A. trying to become an actress. So it's kind of loosely based on her life. Uh, as she is playing herself, and it's so funny. It is so vulgar, so if you don't like so many jokes about penises, then uh, you probably won't find it funny. I am not the most mature person in the world, so I do find it pretty funny. So I would say something that doesn't suck is is Nicole Byer and the fact that I can watch so much Nicole Byer and laugh so hard, and it, and it makes me really happy. Thank you for listening to Disagreeable Subjects. If you want more content, check out DisagreeableSubjects.com. Follow me on Instagram at DisagreeableWeasel. Admittedly, that's mostly pictures of my dog. Follow Disagreeable Subjects on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash disagreeablepod. Or follow me on Twitter at L underscore Tadler. To be honest, the Twitter is mostly jokes. If you really love me and want to support the podcast, then head over to my Patreon, patreon.com slash disagreeable subjects where for as little as a dollar a month you can nab gems like me talking with my mom about the movie death of stalin on the bonus podcast disagreeable movies where friends and family talk about politically themed movies it's awesome and you get that if you subscribe to my patreon so have a lovely week goodbye everyone goodbye everyone